God's presence today. We are truly grateful to God for uh, such an awesome privilege to see the first day and the first Sunday in the month of August. The year has flown back so quickly. It is so fast that many times when I think of an event, uh, it looks like, you know, it happened a long time ago because of the rate things have happened and, uh, you know, the way the, the pace of the year. But we want to thank God. And I want to welcome those who are worshiping online, either live today or you'll be listening to this message uh, in the near future. I want to say God bless you. You are very, very much welcome into the service. And we thank God for your lives. I know some of our colleagues are away uh, on various needs to be on holidays and stuff like that. Wherever you are, if you are connecting as well, God bless you. Take it easy. Enjoy yourselves. We look forward to seeing you again soon uh, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We want to appreciate God for uh, a privilege to... I want to appreciate God for the privilege to bring the word today because it is a very, very great privilege. I don't make light of it at all. I have been privileged to be... Uh, sharing the word of God since I was a young person in my early 20s on campus uh, back in Nigeria. And um, I know that every time God gives you an opportunity to talk to his people, he's watching you. He's watching you because he's doing what he wants to come and do by himself, but has sent you as a human being. So you've got to be very careful and you've got to be uh, sure that you are delivering his mind. But I believe God that uh, we will hear his mind today in the name of Jesus. As we started in our series of the purpose and power of time last uh, month, by the grace of God, I told you that the very first four sessions was to look at the purpose of time. The last five sessions we have in this month of August takes us into the segment on the power of time. We have looked at the purpose of time. We're looking at the power of time. There is power in time. Time carries power. Like we have said over and over, time is a portion of eternity that God has provided for certain things to occur. Time occurs and is given to us for a purpose and for empowerment. And so it is important for us. Do we have our banner today? We are starting the very first of five series on, or, or five topics on that. That is number five, which is our fifth session in this series, Investing Time for Purposeful Living investing time for purposeful living. This is very important for us, and I'm hoping and trusting God that we will all be able to understand. We talk about purposeful living a lot, and like those of you that know very well about the vision objectives of the church, that is why we recite it every now and then, to, be a, to raise with God and for God a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. So we're talking about power and purpose in this series. And we have looked at purpose a little bit, but we are also talking about, today we are looking at the power of time for purposeful living, investing time for purposeful living. If we are talking about purposeful living, we must understand that it involves developing a lifestyle of intentionality to fulfill one's life's mandate. So you are intentional. You are not a person that wakes up and just goes through a day without any plan, no program, nothing. You are not looking at anything. That is not, you are living, but that's not living purposefully. A purposeful lifestyle is making sure that every day counts towards what you believe God has sent you to this earth to do. I, I wake up every day thinking about all the assignments God has given to me to do and what that day should help me to achieve in those things. And that is how every one of us should live. Jesus demonstrated this way of living extensively while he was here on earth. And um, there is no better person to look at other than to look at the Lord Jesus himself and in his life. And um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, I want to start from there. He said, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, somebody say, for this purpose. Say, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, he was manifested. Jesus did not come for, for funfair. He wasn't just like one of the prophets that came and fulfilled a time of, of life to just, you know, do the work of speaking the mind of God to the people. And after they left, even the greatest of prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, all of them, they came and fulfilled a certain portion in time and went. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came for an eternal purpose. He who lives in eternity stepped into time 
and manifested himself and had to do a sacrifice in time that would deliver mankind in time so that man would join him in eternity. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. When Peter was preaching about him to the, uh, the, the people in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, and he talked about how God anointed him in Acts 10, verse 38, that God anointed him, uh, the Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. The Bible says he went about doing good. He went about doing good. And he was doing what? He was healing and all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It's so important we understand. Specific purpose. Jesus did not just come, and that's why when they asked him questions many times, why are you sitting with sinners? He said, for them I came. They'll say, well, are you not going to eat? No. He said, my meat is to do the will of him who has sent me. And he knew he was waiting for a woman there by the well that was going to save a whole city. Everything about his life was detailed. As young as 12 years old, there was an opportunity for him to be asking questions in the temple. He waited behind. His parents had gone three days' journey, thinking that he was still back in there. He was following them. Then they looked, where is, this? where is Jesus? And then they found that they had to go back. And they took back. The Bible said they went back three days' journey, back to the temple. Then they found him there, reasoning with the elders. Purposeful living. As a 12-year-old, he could even understand that. And in verse 39, Peter said, and we are witnesses of all these things, which he did. Somebody say he did. Things he did. His life was not a life that filled void. His life was a life of doing. He went about doing good, and we are witnesses, Peter said, of the things which he did, both in the lands of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. It is important that we understand that Jesus laid this example for us so that we can know that our life is not just for one that is given to us to just live as if we have no purpose. In John chapter 9 verse 4, he said, I must walk the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can walk. I must walk. Somebody say, I must walk. He didn't say I may walk. He didn't say when I feel like I walk. I must walk. This is why when I see Christians that they have to be begging to do things, I ask myself, does this person understand that we, as those who have been saved, are not now, we are no longer our own? We must walk. We must walk. If you see a person who is on essential duty, like a doctor or a nurse, and they, they are on duty, and they are expected to be called, or people who are in the fire service that can be called up at any time on the military service, you see them living life expecting that they can be called at any time because they must walk the work of him who sent them. They must walk the work of the country and the nations they serve, even in those works. Jesus said, I must walk the work of him who sent me while it is day because the daytime is the phase of work life. So when we're talking about purposeful living, we must understand that it is first us understanding that we must live a life of purpose. One of the reasons why people have time to live and, and, and fight and waste time with arguments that are not going anywhere is because they, they lack the focus of their purpose. If you, are very, if you are going somewhere, you know when somebody is trying to stop you and you are kind of, you are going somewhere, you have an appointment, and you are going to a very important appointment, a meeting, and you meet somebody by the way, you know that as you are talking to them, you are virtually moving. Do you know what I'm saying? You are virtually moving, even though you are engaging, because you know that that, that conversation must only last for a, a, a time that still allows you to get to where you are going. But when you see a person who has no purpose, they stop them in the market. They will say, hey, Bobby, I've not seen you the last one. <laughs> and they will talk with Bobby for one hour. Then they go to the next, as they are going again, and that one ah, <laughs> that, that person has no purpose. <laughs> You can easily tell that he's not going anywhere. He just came out and is gambling with whoever he sees. But a man of purpose will be very, very clinical with time. They won't be rude, but they will always, everybody around them will know that they are moving with time. Friends, time is so important. This is why we must understand. Say with me, time can be wasted. Say time can be spent. And time can be invested. Whatever you do in life, Whatever you do in life, what you want to achieve every time is that you are investing time. Time wasted 
is useless time. It was unproductive. It was not helpful. When you, you take time and you use it on something that is just completely unuseful, completely useless, rather, to you, that is a waste of time. How many times have you felt you've had a conversation, you're trying to talk to somebody about something, and you know, they were just heady about it and heady and you kept on trying to convince them about, you know, and they are refusing to see it and they are refusing to see it. And after one hour, you say, okay, if that is it, let's leave it there. Don't you feel that is wasted time many times? You feel that is wasted time because it is obvious that only God can make whatever you said after that point to still make sense to them because it was clear that they, they were not ready to hear it. We don't want to waste time, so we have to be praying against waste of time. Now, time spent is better than wasted time, but it's still not the ultimate. Time wasted is useless. Is, it has not given us anything. Time spent gives us instant gratification. So you can spend the time to watch a movie for the sake of it. It's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I watch some movies. If they're good enough, I watch them. But the reality is that time spent watching some kind of movies and some kind of things can give you some instant gratification, but does no more than that. So that is still time spent. Good, but not good enough. What you want is that even when you are watching entertainment, you are investing time. So even the entertainment you are watching is one that you are really learning something from. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is time invested. But you watch somebody who puts pot here, who puts spoon here, and then he puts another fork here, and he's doing like that for one hour, and you say, ha, 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 ha. You are laughing. And you know these days of social media, you can easily get, you are looking for something serious. You want to find out about, you know, driving schools in the area. And you just go online and you start looking. And then some other things will start coming like that. If you are not careful, after one hour, you have watched somebody dancing on, the, on his head and another one doing like this. <laughs> and then you remind yourself, after one hour, you say, ah, what was I even looking for? <laughs> what was I even looking for? Okay, ah, driving schools. Okay, let's go back to it. <laughs> after watching all kinds of junk. <laughs> so, to invest time means you are very focused, you are very intentional. Time invested is the time we spend into activities that help us to get a return. Whether it's five minutes or five hours or five days or five years or 50 years. No matter how long you spend investing time into something that matters, it brings you a return over time. Just like money does. When you invest money in property or invest money in stocks and bonds and things, the, the, the projection is that it gives you return over time. This is why you must understand that when you invest time, you must be very patient. Just like your broker will tell you, when you send them 1,000 pounds to help them to help you put in some kind of investment and they put it there, if you ring them after two weeks and say, how is it doing? They will tell you to get away. <laughs> they will tell you, don't call me until next, this time next year then we can talk a bit. Because it's always about long term. Medium term at least, then long term. So time invested is time that we intentionally spend so that we can have a return. And I will tell us some areas of our lives that we all know, but how we can understand investment of time in those areas. Of course, the first thing I will talk about is in studying and learning. We must, to live purposefully in life, we must invest time in studying and learning. Ephesians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise. How can you know, how can you gain wisdom? By understanding the will of the Lord. And how can you know the will of God? By studying. If you don't study God through his word, you cannot understand his will. This is why many people are deceived all over the place today. Somebody puts on a robe and he calls himself bishop, uh, prophet, doctor, something. And then he starts talking anything. And people who have not taken time to study this God will believe that he's saying something about that God. This is why more people are deceived. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. When you study, the return for you is approval. When you study, the return for you is stability. He says, study to show yourself approved, a workman. 
that needs not to be ashamed, but is rightly dividing the word of truth. So, that's 2 Timothy 2.15. So, you study. You study to show yourself. You learn. You learn. In the trade and in the business that you are in, you have to study, you have to learn, you have to look at things. There are trends. Our world is not a static world. When I started practicing engineering 30 years ago, this year, last year, uh, in fact, two years ago now, time is flying so quickly. Uh, believe me, the things we used to do, a lot of it have changed, has changed over time. 20 years ago, we thought we were hype. When I used my first laptop in the year 1998, I was like uh, coming from Mars back in Nigeria. Most people had desktops. Some had never even seen a computer. So when we, we, we wanted to show off, you know, we were young, so pardon us. We were 27, 28. We, we, you behave like that, <laughs> okay? So we carried the laptop in the airport when everybody is still very, very analog and looking like that, and you bring it out. Those laptops that were this thick, it's not, you know, the, you know the, those Toshiba 32 gigabytes. <laughs> That's their whole memory, 32 gigabytes. We bring it out. Me, my boss, some other engineers put it on our laptop. And everybody will be like, man, these guys are. <laughs> when we come to Europe, we don't do that because everybody is doing it, so we don't do that. But when we're in Lagos Airport, we'll be doing like that. <laughs> We are not typing anything. We are finished typing. There's no Wi-Fi. There's nothing. So it's <laughs> my boss was about 30, 38 that time. He was under 40. So he too was very young. He was saying, guys, bring out your computers. Let's, 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 let's discuss that document. There's nothing there. It's just for us to show that we have laptops, you know. <laughs> but the reality is that, you know, that, that, that looked hype then. What, what is that today? That is very obsolete. Everything changes over time. So we must learn how to keep adapting. There is no business that you are doing today that will remain like that in five years. No matter what it is. Whether you are a teacher or something. When I started teaching, it was chalk we used to, used to write things on the board. Then they started giving us uh, markers. Now, hardly do you write on the board when you are teaching. <laughs> hardly do you write on the board. Because everything has moved and moved and moved. So every one of us must understand this. Daniel said, I understood by books. I understood by books. You need to take time to study. Invest in studying. Make it a habit on a daily basis that you learn something new. And discuss among yourself as a spouse. When you learn something, tell your spouse. When you learn something, if you don't have, if you're, if you're, you're, you're by yourself or you're single, when you learn something, share it with a friend. Every time you share things like that, what happens is that God helps you to gain understanding in what you are learning. The Bible says, do not be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. Especially when it comes to the things of God. It is so vital to know the Bible for yourself. The Bible says that you will rightly, you will need not be ashamed. When you know the Bible and you know the practicality of the word of God, nobody can put you to shame to it, not even the devil himself. You will find yourself like Jesus Christ when he says, turns this stone to bread. You will say, it is written. When he says, jump from the high cliff, you say, no, it is written. When he says, oh, you can jump from the temple top, you will say, no, it is said. Because you know you're standing in the word of God. Number two, we need to invest time in fellowship. Many people are starting to take fellowship very lightly in our day and age. There is no new improved version of serving God. Nothing has taken away fellowship. Our first apostles laid down their lives. I think if every Christian reads Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 alone, every month, at least once a month, read Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, and remind yourself what these men and women suffered so that we can still have church today. You will not joke with fellowship. When they got the Holy Ghost baptism and they started preaching and they grew, the Bible says they were committing to fellowship from house to house. And I've always explained this. Many people say, yeah, and that is why I say house to house, that we don't need to build churches for people to gather. And I've said this over and over. They were 120 when they started on the day of Pentecost. After Peter's message, when they were all praying in tongues, they became 3,120. So which building will you put up in such a short time? to put 3,000 people. It did not exist. 
So the only solution, practically, was to put people house to house. Then later on, obviously, they started gathering. I'm not saying that house fellowship is wrong. But for people who are saying that eh, the first apostles met house to house, they met house to house because there was no one building to contain them per time. When 120 could be contained in one building, they met there. Do you get what I'm saying? So this is a part of the things we need to know about the Bible. But if we don't know, somebody will come and say, why are you going to church? You say, eh, we need to go to church. You say, ah, you know, they were early apostles. Didn't you see that they met house to house? We are supposed to be in our houses. You two will say, yes, so that's true. Ah, they met house to house. Eh, that's true. <laughs> but when you have understanding, you know that it was a context of the time and it was for a purpose so that everybody could still be given an opportunity to meet. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Pastor Moses led us powerfully in reading Ecclesiastes 9 from 1 to 12, our scripture today, Bible reading. But I just want to take some verses from it. Verse 4. He said, but for him too is joined to the living, to all the living, there is hope. If you read the first three verses, it talks about how every man under the sun, the son of men, are exposed to all kinds of evil in these times and so on and so forth. But he said, but to, for him, read it with me, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And verse 5 says, for the living know that they will die. The living understand the purpose of why they are living and they know that a time will come that they will die. We started this series by a time to be born and a time to die. When we meet together, we are not planning to die, but we are planning to live for the day of death. We plan as believers and give ourselves hope. Go back to verse 4. We give ourselves hope because there is hope. I said there is hope. I said there is hope. Fellowship helps us to see the hope of today and the hope that is coming after today. It helps us to see the hope of now and the hope that is coming after death. It is how we strengthen one another. So when we lose loved ones, some people lose parents, some people lose grandparents, some people lose spouses along the line, some people lose children, some people lose things. We come together and encourage each other and say, you know, there is hope as we are all joined to the living. So like I said in Acts 2.1, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were together in one accord. And in verse 4, suddenly the place where they were gathered was filled with the presence of God. And the Bible says everyone was filled with the Spirit. Say with me, fellowship, fellowship. is the avenue through which God blesses us corporately and individually. You can be receiving some certain blessings as an individual. You will be. But there are some blessings that are reserved for the gathering of the saints. They are reserved for Mount Zion, where the spirits of just men are made perfect. They are reserved for Mount Zion, where there is a joining to all living and hope is being shared to everyone. Every true and living church, when you come in, and when you are going out, you feel stronger. You should feel stronger. Any church that you go and all you do when you come in, I hear people say these days, this is another very big error going about. People say, oh, these days, yeah, many people come to church and they are smiling and they leave church and they are still smiling and they should be crying because the church is not talking about sin. <laughs> Have you heard that before? They say, because church is not talking about sin like it was in our day, so people should be crying. That people should, when people leave church, they should be crying about their sin. That is not church. That is demonic gathering of whoever it is. The Bible says, I lay in Zion a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. And he said, anyone who comes to that Zion, they shall return again with joy. They will return with joy. Zion is where your mourning is turned into dancing. I say it is a place where your morning is turned into dancing. It's a place where he gives you the oil of gladness for the garment of heaviness. This is what Mount Zion is all about. Even when you come in as a sinner and somebody who has never met Christ, 
What Mount Zion and the gathering of the saints does is that it helps you to see yourself in the light and the eyes of God and you shed those sins and embrace the goodness of God in his mercies and then you reject your sin. And this is why every Sunday in this church we pray for as many who want to come into that loving relationship with God. When you come into it, no matter the challenges of life you face, you become a person of joy. You become a person of perpetual peace in the name of Jesus. So fellowship is, a, is something we must invest time. When you plan your weekly activities, plan time for fellowship. Don't add it on. Don't, don't put all kinds of meetings together first. All kinds of, accept every kind of engagement. Then you say, ah, how am I going to do on Wednesday? Oh, ah, Wednesday, I'm supposed to be in church. Eh. You have my, for many years now, for over 30 years, my meeting days in every church I have been, they, they stand like tall like that in my diary. All the people I do business with, up to now in this country, I do business with all kinds of people, all kinds of races, that is as a consulting engineer. They all know that I'm a preacher. They all know that even if it's a one million pound deal, they cannot talk to me now. They know, all of them know. They cannot talk, they cannot reach me Sunday morning. It's impossible. So if they are so eager and so eager and they can't wait till Monday, they will call me at night on Sunday. <laughs> and by themselves, they'll be saying, we know that we can't reach you before now. Because there's, there's no negotiation. It's not because I'm pastor of this church. Ask my wife. She's known me for about 30 years. That's been my life. You don't have to be a pastor to live like that. You just need to be a Christian that has value for fellowship. Hallelujah. I don't go late to church. I don't go late to church because I don't go late for important appointments at other times. How you treat this depends and how you invest your time depends a lot. Proverbs 13, 20 says, it says that he who walks with the wise will himself become wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. When you walk in a proper fellowship relationship, you find yourself gaining more wisdom. Many people's lives have been transformed from waywardness into a lot of seriousness and integrity because they are mixing with people. This is why we, we owe ourselves a responsibility of living exemplary for one another so that we can continue to leverage the proper power in Zion. Number three, we must invest time in prayer. This is what Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 8 really means. He said, let your garments always be white. Live in purity, verse 8. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. I've told you when the Bible talks about oil, your head is talking about anointing, the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Your garment being white means you are holy and you are a person who is Doing that by submitting yourself to sanctification through prayer. Let your garments always be white. Prayer is not an old-fashioned thing. It's not something that early apostles, that old prophets did or early apostles do. And then we have, have that's another thing I've heard. How about countries that don't pray? How about, if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 9 very well, it said that God's goodness is on good and bad and everybody. This is why people must understand that his goodness is shining to a person. It doesn't mean his final approval is there. It is his mercy. So it's foolishness to be comparing. In fact, the psalmist says that I was worried about it until I went into the temple. Then I understood that, oh, people who live like that have an end that is not what I want to see. Hallelujah. So every one of us must understand this. Let your garments always be white. Don't allow strife, envy, don't allow jealousies, lusts of any kind, fornications, adultery, lying, cheating. Don't allow those things in your life. Let your garments always be white. Why do you need to get rid of those things? Because your prayer life becomes more potent when you live a life of integrity. Those of you that were here on Friday, in that very powerful meeting on Friday, we were talking about how it is important to walk with God. If you want to be somebody who is hearing with, from God, and I use the illustration of me and my own child, my own daughter, that if I have something for her, I would just simply tell her. I would simply tell her, say, I have this thing for you. It's in the room. When you go home, pick it up there, and it's yours. Isn't it? That's the same way God will talk to us, but that is because there is a relationship. When we are wayward and living carelessly and don't care about the things of God, even God who wants to speak to us will not be able to speak to us. 
Say, let your garments be white. Don't follow what those people are following. Even though the sun is shining on all, everybody seems to be prospering. Everyone seems to be okay. Don't go that way. Let your own garments be white. Invest time in praying for your garments to remain white. He who thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. So you walk it on a daily basis. This is nothing to do with legalism, but this is something to do with deep, serious commitment to spirituality. Matthew chapter 11, verse 22. You don't need to turn to it. He said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Verse 23 says, for if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you say. Yeah, that has taken me over 35 years to cram like that. <laughs> Thank God for Kenneth Hagin. You can't listen to him in the 80s. If you listen to him and you did not memorize Mark 11, 22, 23, 24, then no hope for you. So we learned it like that. He shall have whatever he's saying. Verse 24, he said that, and whatsoever things, therefore, when you stand praying, believe that you receive and you shall have them. Believe that you shall receive and you shall have them. He wants your garment to be white all the time, but you must also let your head not lack oil. Believe in the power of God at work in your life. Friends, there is no negotiating the place for investing time in prayer. A prayer, we heard that from, second, uh, from, uh, uh, Bible, from Sunday school as children. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Jesus came, he showed us. Jesus, as Jesus as he was, he showed us how important it was. The Bible will say he rose up early in the morning to do what? To pray. <laughs> Jesus Christ himself. As Jesus as he was. If, if prayer is not important, he will just be walking about there one day saying, nail me to the cross, man. <laughs> Guys, just nail me now. I'm ready, man. <laughs> is that what he said? <laughs> is that what he said? In fact, when they were about to na nail him, he went to pray again. It's a father. Because the humanity came to the fore. Because it is the humanity that must be nailed to the cross. And the devil came again and pushed his humanity to the, to the threshold. He went and he started sweating drops of blood. I said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass over me. And his father ministered to him. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And that is why we are here today. That sentence, not my will, but your will. We used to say it is finished. It is true. If he did not say not my will but your will, there is nothing like it is finished. <laughs> he would have gone and say, Dad, zap me up, man. I'm tired of this. <laughs> These people are not serious. Zap me up now. Take me back to heaven. Now, thank God he allowed himself. We must pray. We must pray. Then, number four, we must work. Whether this is our work in ministry or work in vocation, business, Look at what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. That place we read, verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device where you are going. No knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Whatever your hand finds to do. Believers can be very good at praying, even though I've just talked about the need to pray. But if we pray alone and we don't work, we are doing a disservice to the principles that God has set for this kingdom. There is no lazy pastor. There is no person who is lazy that can be a pastor. It's impossible. You can't be lazy and do ministry. And you can't be lazy and excel in any real vocation of life. You can be mediocre and average and just getting on. But to go to any height or any depth, there is no chance for laziness. He said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it with seriousness. It is so important for us to realize this. This is Ecclesiastes 9.10. You don't need to turn to it, but if you remember on Friday, we looked at Ecclesiastes 3, where we have been reading for the past four weeks. And we looked at verses 9, 10, and 11. But verse 9 and 10 is very important because the Bible says, what profit has a man in all his labor? Verse 9. Then verse 10, he said that unless man understands the cause, 
that in every labor, God has given a work that has a cause to man to perform. He said, unless man understands that, his, his labor will have no profit. There is a cause for, you, for which you must work. And this is what he's saying here. He said, when you are doing your work with all your might, understand the cause for it. You are not a sportsman or a teacher or a nurse or a builder, whatever you do, just for the sake of it. You are not just in that field so as just to make money. You are there as a representative of God to help bring light into that sector. You have heard that many times. So that is the cause. Many people have said to me, oh, Brother Dave, you know, I want to be in ministry and I don't know, know how to And I say, are you a Christian? I say, yeah, you are already in ministry. You're already in ministry. Where you are, where you are functioning, you are already in ministry in that place. But many of us think until we, we come behind this thing, we have not done ministry. <laughs> and this thing, this, this, this thing takes, how many hours do we stay here on a, on, in, a, on a, in a week? Two hours, two and a half, maximum three hours in a whole week. So if that was all that was ministry, we are, we, there is no hope for us. <laughs> Out of all the time that is in a week. Every day is a day of ministry. What we do here is to encourage one another, join to all the living, let hope be stirred up on your inside. The person who is feeling disappointed because an interview didn't go okay last week is refired up again to go for the next one. The one who is having some issues and challenges with, with a child or with a marriage is encouraged to understand that God can come through for them. The one who is battling some issue of medical challenges or whatever, we come together like that. But ministry is what we now do with how God empire, empowers us and we go out again. It is important, verse 12, he said, for man does not know his time. Remember last time the Bible says, yeah, thank you. He said, for man also does not know his time. Like a fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. But for all who is joined to living, there is what? There is what? You have forgotten already. There is hope. <laughs> there is hope. To all who is joined, are joined to the living, there is hope. He said, for natural man, basically, he said, the sons of men are snared in an evil time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he said, for he makes all things beautiful in his time. And he has put, like we explained on Friday, eternity in their hearts. That means he has put his nature that understands better than sons, ordinary sons of men. Because sons of men do not know the beginning from the end. But those who have eternity in their heart and are walking with God are always comforted in the journey. And whatever they need to know, God tells them. Like I said on Friday, whatever you don't know, believe me, as long as you are walking with God, whatever you don't know, you don't need to know yet. Or you don't need to know at all. Take it from me. Whatever you don't have, you don't need yet. This is why he said God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So if he knows you need it, the Bible says in Psalm 84 verse 11, he said the Lord God is a son and shield. He will give grace and he will give glory. And he said no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So unless we are trying to say that God is a liar, and we know he's not. So why am I saying that? There are things we desire. There are things we, we, we pray, like we said. He said, whatever it is you desire when you pray, believe you receive and you shall have. The word you shall have there does not mean you will have it exactly the way you desired it, but it means you will have it the way God wants you to have it. Which may mean take it now, wait for it, or that's not the plan. But it takes a deep spiritual thing because some people say, ah, I've prayed, I'm prayed. I don't know. Every time we pray, 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 pray. <laughs> I'm gone, man. You still there? I'm gone. <laughs> if you don't know about God and how he works, that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. If you don't know, you would think, you know, some of you know the story, the woman I wanted to marry that I thought was going to be my co-partner in ministry. <laughs> I felt I found the angel that would be singing by my side when I'm preaching, I'm preaching in 1991. I said, God, this is very good. Took her to my father. God bless his soul. He said to me, son, 
thank you for bringing her to me, but um, I need you to pray some more. <laughs> he said, pray some more. I'm not quite sure about this lady, but pray some more. I said, Dad, she can sing very well. <laughs> she loves the Lord. She can sing very well. And she's an architect. We're going to, in fact, that's the other thing you haven't been told. She's an architect. We were planning. We will have a mega consulting firm. So as she's doing all the architecture, I'm doing the structural work. Do your architecture. <laughs> so it was serious matters. But one day she carried all the architecture and all the engineering and the anointing and just went away and left me by myself. <laughs> and then suddenly my fiancé came up, now my wife, and the rest is history. And God knows that, believe me, many times I've asked myself, Lord, if I'm not married to this woman, what would have my life been? The way I operate, the things we do, the things I subject her to, the things she has had to do for me, the sacrifices she's had to make. Many women would have not made it. They would have walked away. They would say, you and that your God. You know what? I'm gone, man. <laughs> I'm gone. When we were to start the church, just a few weeks, we can say it now, because, you know, I don't want, it's not a blab, but just for you to get a picture. A few days to the time we will start the church, I've been saving some money and I wanted to surprise her. The church was launched August 31 in the year 2013. And I think just about four days before then, I took 1,000 pounds and I gave it to her and I said, I just want to appreciate you for this. And what I would like you to do is to get some clothes. Just buy whatever you want to buy for yourself because you will need some clothes. She said, you know I have clothes. And I said, no, 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 I want you to just take this from me as a launch of ministry that you want to buy some clothes. She said, okay, thank you very much. Two days later, a few weeks later, I didn't see any clothes. I didn't see anything. I left it like that. Then we started the church. Then one day she came to me and she just came back. And I saw bills of curtain, red curtain. Bills of it. And I said, where did you get all this? Where did you get the money for this? She said, you know, I just felt that that money you gave me can do something for the church. I said, I, we've done, you've done things for the church. I don't want to hear it. She said, no, 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 no. That the backdrop. Those of you that know the red backdrop that used to be here, that is the history of it. She used her money to buy it, and we made it up, and the rest, again, is history. But some other women would have said, is it only 1,000 pounds you are giving me? You say clothes, how about money for shoes? Don't you know I'm, I'll be called mama? <laughs> I need to match shoe and bag <laughs> so that I can be memorized. <laughs> what was the other time? The first lady, first ladies. <laughs> mama Gio. <laughs> She would have asked for more and, and, and gone to Dubai. Say, and then I need a ticket to Dubai to go and shop. True. So many times I've asked. God knows what you need. So at times you are praying for something and you don't know. But God knows what you need. Walk with him. Walk it. Walk it. Whatever assignment God has given you, walk it. Patiently. Walk it. We are a rushing generation. We like things quick and fast. Because computers have spoiled us. When we did not have computers, we used set squares. Those of you that never met set squares and four-figure tables, there are some things that existed like that before calculators came. That's how we wrote exams. Set squares were like ruler like that. <laughs> you know what it is? To do multiplication, you, you turn it one and then you see three times now, you'd slide it. Oh, and then and a slide rule. That's what everyone remember. Slide rule, slide rule. And a slide rule, you, you, you calculate it from there. Or four-figure table. You say 0.999, ah, God have mercy. <laughs> then they will say F9. <laughs> After all the 0.999, they say F9. <laughs> F9. <laughs> On top of all your 0.998, he goes to the F9. <laughs> and then calculators came. And now we have Alexa that speaks to us and tells us everything. <laughs> If you ask Alex, Alex, I was 1,000 times 300. I'll say, oh, that's easy. <laughs> and he'll tell you what it is. <laughs> so because of all these things, we, have, we, we don't know the place of patience. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, say, follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We all talk about Abraham's wait of 25 years. 25 years is a long time. It's a long time. 
<laughs> we all talk about Joseph going to prison and waiting after about 13 years for his dream to come true. It's a long time. How about David that was anointed at 17, never saw the throne till 30? It's a long time. Many people see ministries today that are big and they talk all kinds of things and, and just, you know, like their story because they are big and they are making the rounds. But those of us that know the history of some of those churches know that it took a long time. Winner's Chapel is over 40 years. They celebrated their 40th year, May this year. If my wife was part of that church in the first five years of the church, she knew when that church had what they called a grass cathedral, built from trees cut and put with touches in Kaduna in northern Nigeria. She sat on benches there. When the same Bishop David Oyedeko was preaching there with all his might in a megaphone, no proper microphone. You know those days, it was cheap. To, if you want to buy a microphone, you have to be very rich those days. So they buy a megaphone. So those of you in the church, can you imagine sitting in a building and somebody is speaking to you in a megaphone? It's so annoying. And people will sit down like that. The anointing is coming. Their first board meeting was around a table tennis table. He used to talk about those stories a lot. But today people see, and all they talk is the jets, the this, the that, the that. Of course, I know that there are times that we may do things not adequately okay, but the truth is there is a history to it. Joel Osteen's church, his father in Lakewood, he started that church in 1959. For more than 13 years, up to 1972, the church did not grow more than 200. The same Lakewood that everybody talks about today all over the world. 60 years later, there are more than 50,000, 60,000 people they count on a weekend because they have services Sunday and Saturday and Sunday. They count over 50,000 people. But it takes time. If that man had listened to people who would tell him five years down the line that you are wasting your time, God did not call you. You are just wasting your time. Where would Lakewood have been today? So whatever God calls you to do, walk it. Tell your neighbor for me, walk it. Patiently. With God. Now I want to quickly talk about people and relationships. We need to invest in time in people and relationships. This involves our spousal relationships, parental relationships, fraternal relationships as brethren, business relationships, mentorship, so many. Ecclesiastes 9.9 starts it off by saying, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. This was when Solomon started getting very angry with everything. So when you see vanity, vain, it's part of his frustration. So just, 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 just pity him. <laughs> When you go and marry 1,000 wives, you will start talking this kind of thing. God who say marry one, he knows what he's saying. <laughs> you carry 1,000, you didn't even stop at 10. <laughs> I say, oh, your vanity, your vain, like that is the result of 1,000 wives. <laughs> God's wisdom is still coming through, but his frustration is also entering the day. <laughs> you know, God is saying, tell my people, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. He said, vain life, <laughs> vanity. <laughs> that is my own, don't worry about that, okay? But the reality is this. He said he has given it to you under the sun. But you know something? Many people waste the opportunity to live joyfully with their spouses. Many people waste the opportunity to live joyfully with their children. All my children have songs I sang for them as kids. At times, I still bring out those songs and we laugh over them. Live joyfully with your children. Live joyfully with your brethren. It is a privilege Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. Proverbs 22, verse 6. When he grows, he will not depart from it. Do you know what it takes to train a child? It takes a long-term investment. It takes steadiness. It takes patience. Many of us don't know. We just see. There used to, there's something I used to say many years ago. I say, if you enter anybody's house and they invite you for a meal and the man is sat on his table and uh, he says, these are my sons and daughters. Let's say two boys, two girls, for ex two men, two women, for example. And they all come with their spouses and, uh, you know, with little, little children, grandchildren running around. And uh, he introduces them. This is my first son, my second son, my first daughter and all, all that. I say, whether the man is a Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever he is, respect him. Respect him. What you see in that scenario, 
has taken a lot of work to achieve. <laughs> it is not easy. It doesn't come one night. Because you don't know. You don't know the days of crying together with some of those children. The days where some of them went into drugs and they had to be rehabilitated. You don't know the day when some of them were being bullied at school for no reason. You don't know. You don't know the day when some of them went through depression because they did not pass one exam or the other. You don't know. You only see that end day where it looks like everything is all sorted now. We need to know that we need time. I finished at 20, my first degree. You know my story, some of you. 15, secondary school, went straight to university under our system in Nigeria. Finished civil engineering degree at 20. But I have never made it a standard for any of my children. I've never looked at any of my children and said, hey, what are you doing when I was 20? They've never heard that from me. That when I was 20, I finished degree. No, because God has a plan for their lives. 2 Timothy 2.1, he says that every one of us who have been strong, we should commit to others the word that is able. We should be strong in grace. 2 Timothy 2.1 and 2. He said, commit to others what you have learned. Everybody has, none of your two children have the same plan. Do you know that? Two, three children, God has different plans for them. One will like eating cold. One will eat hot. One will talk fast. One will talk slow. One will not talk at all. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to find a way to manage those relationships. Don't say, you, you don't talk at all. Don't you see your brother that likes to talk and I know what is in his mind? No. That one that is not talking, sit down with him or her and do the eye, whatever you understand. <laughs> if that's how he wants to communicate. <laughs> don't get frustrated. Learn that that is a language. And if, you, if any day by God's, by God's divine intervention, you see her talk, don't say you have anything else you are doing. Leave everything you are doing and go and sit down and talk. <laughs> go and sit down and talk. And it even works, even the same thing with marital relationships. Some of us have spouses that don't talk much. But the very day they want to talk, you are not feeling like talking. You will feel, you will feel like talking. <laughs> you will make yourself feel like talking. <laughs> it just takes patience. It takes prayerfulness with our children, our spouses. Some of the people we work with in the workplace, they may be slow. Give them mercy. Give them mercy. Work on them. Work with them. Encourage them. Let them see their strengths. Take time. It takes time. Someone say it takes time. That is the investment. When you invest it that way, over time, you start to see the reward. Hallelujah. Everyone is unique. God's plan is different from everybody. One would have expected that Apostle Paul would be one of the 120 in that tower praying that night. Doesn't it occur to you that you would expect that a man who would eventually make so much impact that we'll be talking about him more than all the others 2,000 years later was not part of those 120. In fact, he was killing them. <laughs> he was killing them. Anybody who saw Saul where they were casting the stones against Stephen and they were putting clothes. Anybody who saw him could have never imagined what God was packaging in that man who was part of that conspiracy to kill, to, to, to cause martyrdom of Stephen. But God is wiser than us. I say God is wiser than us. The, the Samaritan woman, when she left home one morning to go and fetch water, she left home as somebody that people knew had five husbands, living with the sixth one that is not her husband. She had a checkered history. Nobody readily reckoned with her. When she left home that morning, she left, in quote, like a sinner, an outcast, somebody people did not want to reckon with. That very day, when she was coming back, she came back as an evangelist. Have you thought about that? It doesn't cost God anything to change anybody's life at any time. Our work is to keep sowing, keep sowing, keep praying. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your colleagues. Don't give up on your brethren. And if you have not heard anything in this message, don't give up on your pastor. <laughs> don't give up on him. <laughs> He's work in progress. Hallelujah. Don't give up. Keep working it. Keep praying it. Keep patience. And watch what God will do. A few days ago, I was privileged to, to deliver a message, a seminar, a lecture, a special lecture to the Nigerian Society of Engineers back in Nigeria. I've done this for them 
since 20, many years, since 2008. Corin, NSE, different branches, Central, all of them. Anytime they call me, I make myself available. And now it's easier because we can do them virtually. Before, they used to pay flight and pay all those things. I wanted to harass them that you stopped all those things because now we can do virtual. <laughs> but anyway, no problem about that. But the truth is, I was asked to speak in a special lecture for uh, one of our foremost engineers who, who's retired. He's 85 years old now. He lives in the U.S. with his son. It was such a privilege for me. Engineer Kitunde is one of the biggest names we have ever had in engineering practice in Nigeria. And it was an honor for me. I, I, when, he was, when I was being born was when he was practicing consultancy at the highest level in this country. Top guy, top guy. So after his speech, I was to speak. And after he spoke, all I could say is, of course, this is a big privilege for me. But at the same time, I let him see that this should also be a day of hope for him, that we are doing the little bits we can from the mentorship we have learned from him and all those things. And then I delivered the lecture. But what I want to bring out of it is this. His daughter said, my dad kept on saying, I wish one of you would do engineering. I wish one of you would do engineering because he had three children. None of them went into engineering. One became a doctor. I don't know what the others became. So because of his engineering, he really wished. Then his daughter said, we have all been vindicated today. He said, because everybody that spoke in this meeting kept on calling her dad, father, our father, our father. And right before, my, uh, before all of us, she said, now can you see that you don't have three engineering biological children, but you have hundreds, if not thousands, who call you father today in the profession. And it is a thing for us to learn from. God has a plan for everyone. We need to keep investing time. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man lives inheritance for his, to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. People think this has to only be landed properties and all those things. That is good. But the biggest inheritance you can leave for your children is a legacy of the faith. When you leave them a legacy of the faith, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You give them the potential to have everything. This is one thing my father left for me that I cannot forget. And I thank him every day. I thanked him every day for it. A legacy of the faith. But it takes investment, it takes patience to leave that legacy. Of course, leave proper inheritance as well. I'm not saying you should live irresponsibly and there's nothing to be left for the children. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But there is, some people labor to leave those kind of things, but don't labor to leave a spiritual inheritance. Don't be like that. Labor to leave a spiritual inheritance and also something physical. Finally, we need to invest time to rest. We need to invest time to rest. Believe me, we must understand that whilst we should rest, uh, while we should work, we must plan to be resting. The reason why many people are cut short in our day and age is we don't rest. We don't rest. We just walk and walk and move from work to work and move and make money. And listen, friends, what is the purpose of money if one has it and he cannot enjoy it? So take time to rest. It's just that some people overrest. That is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> To overrest is laziness. Work and rest. I have three P's, I always say. You pray, say it with me, pray, pray. Produce, produce, and play. Do that all the time. Pray, that is do the things of God. Produce, work, but play. Learn to rest, learn to rest. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 says, Go eat the bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has accepted all your works. When you are working the way God wants you to work, then you will be having and enjoying rest. Rest from work. Matthew 6.30, then the apostles gathered together to Jesus and he told them all the things, but what they had done and what they had taught. Both what they had done and what they had taught. Now read verse 1 for me, this 31. This is what Jesus said to the apostles. Let's go together. 31, 31. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and do what? Rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Rest a while. Learn to know that there is a need to rest a while. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he said, you can rest from your troubles 
He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from your troubles. Rest from your troubles. Verse 29, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest. Hebrews 4, he said, there remains a rest for the people of God. It is important for us to learn how to rest. I rest. My family knows. When I want to sleep, I may not sleep, you know, long hours, but when I want to sleep, I sleep. I sleep very well. I don't sleep and punch calculator at the same time and say, ah, is it, is it added up? No, when I'm, I want to do that, I do that. But the moment I hit the pillow and say, I want to sleep, if it's one hour, then it is. Ten minutes, then it is. Five hours, then it is. I have seen too many people cut their life short in the name of working for God. And I don't want to go down that route. I want to go back to him in the time I'm supposed to come. I don't want to arrive in heaven and say, ah, you are here already. <laughs> I don't want God to say that to me. I say, I'm here. I say, ah, you still have one. <laughs> what happens? I don't know. I just slept, so I didn't wait. <laughs> no. I want him to say, oh, well done. Welcome. Yeah, this is the time. You have done everything. <laughs> but it takes understanding of rest. May God continue to help us in the name of Jesus. See time as what you must invest, not what you should waste, definitely not what you should just spend, and of course, never what you should waste. And it's a very simple test. As you are doing any exercise, ask yourself, am I spending time, wasting time, or am I investing time? Just keep asking yourself. This conversation, am I wasting time, am I spending time, or am I investing time? And may God continue to give you a return on your investments of time. In the name of Jesus. We are going to have our communion today by the grace of God. Jesus said, I must walk the walk of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no man can walk. This is the essence of this communion today. We are going to pray and press into the things of God. The way Jesus was able to spend time, the way Jesus was able to invest his time, as it were, reasonably, and we are today still return on his investment and as many that are being added in the kingdom are returns on that investment of the 33 and a half years and particularly the last three and a half years he spent here. That is the same way God will help us to fulfill purpose. In the name of Jesus. Let's write this. Well.